me uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We've been dealing with this series we entitled Scandalous, an inside look at the Corinthian church, an inside look at the Corinthian church. And today you should have gotten your sermon out, sermon notes. Um, we're going to delve into a, a topic here that Paul dealt with with this church. Um, and in the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, we're going to begin some reading that and I'm going to show you a little video clip um, and then we'll, we'll move on in, okay? The text says this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 1. Glory to God. Are you all there with me? The text says this, when one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit? And ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers. Now, guys, you remember when you started with us on this series, we know that the Corinthian church was a divided church. Am I right about it? We also know that the church at Corinth was birthed out of a decadent culture. The, the, the city of Corinth was a metropolitan city. They were prospering economically. And you had people from all across the globe at that time that came to settle in Corinth in order to transact business. So Corinth was booming. It was humming. But it was also plagued with sexual immorality. It was also plagued with divisions and all types of false gods that were permeating in that culture. And what we said what began to happen is when the church, uh, when people got saved and came to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they brought over some of that old stuff with them. Can I get a witness up in here? And so with that old stuff in the church, you had some stuff going on inside the church. And so Paul is writing to deal with some of the problems in the church. And one of our taglines we said when we started this series was the church is too important to ignore problems that need fixing. Will y'all repeat that with me? Say the church is too important to ignore problems that need fixing. And we're talking about the local church congregation, but we're also talking about you who are part of the body of Christ. You, you and I who are saved are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we have problems going on in our life, in our marriages, in our workplace, it's too important for us to ignore those problems and not put the word of God on it and help, let the Holy Ghost help us to fix that stuff. Amen? How many of y'all got some stuff in your life need fixing? How many of y'all want to say, Jesus, fix me? Hallelujah. All of us got some stuff that needs to be fixed. And so it's too important to ignore that stuff. So look at the next verse. In verse number two, the text says this. um, uh, Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Verse number three says this. Don't you realize that, that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. Verse 4 says, if you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I'm saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? Come on, but instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice And leave it at that. Why not let yourselves be cheated? Verse number eight, come on, let's read. says, uh, instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people. Any greedy people out here? Drunkards, any drunkards out here? Or are abusive or cheat people? None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Scandalous. An inside look at the Corinthian church. Jay, play that video right quick. Glory to God. A division between a local church and its pastor makes its way to Hines County 
Chancery Court today. Members of New Galilean Missionary Baptist Church packed Judge Denise Owen's courtroom. And you may be wondering why a church dispute is now in the hands of a judge. Annette Pegler joins us in the newsroom to explain, Annette. Well, Howard, this all started last month when members of that church voted its pastor, Orlando Franklin, out due to what they call numerous problems. Some say that vote wasn't valid and should have been thrown out, but now the issue is money, and that's when the courts got involved. It was standing room only in Judge Denise Sweet Owens' courtroom Tuesday as members of New Galilean Missionary Baptist Church continue to debate leadership for the congregation. We got corruption in the charge, that's what it was. Just corruption in the charge, and we're trying to get to the bottom of it. Weeks ago, a group of members decided to vote out Pastor Orlando Franklin. We believe the church has spoken, and this matter should be out of court, and the church should be allowed to move on and uh, grow from here. But not everyone agreed, and that's when attorneys got involved. When you fight against your God's man, he hasn't done any wrong. The matter made its way to court when Trustmark Bank, the bank holding the church's funds, refused to change over signatures on the account. The bank asked the court to intervene. We tried to talk to the man in the center of all this. I have nothing to say. So now it's up to the church to come to some sort of resolution. To be honest, I can't make that determination until somebody shows me that there has been a valid and legal vote. And that is why this court is denied the motion to dismiss. Now, we'll be sure to keep you updated with this story. A lot of members say this situation shouldn't, shouldn't have come to all of this. They are praying for a peaceful resolution. And from the newsroom, Annette Pegler, three on your side. Now, guys, that story is oftentimes repeated throughout this nation where believers, born-again believers who say they love Jesus, who love the Lord, and are going to church suing one another, having the court to decide the church's business. But what did we just read, guys? Can we back up? Go back with me, uh, if you will. In, in verse, let's start at verse, uh, verse number uh, four, that very same chapter. Verse, go to verse number four. It says, if you have legal disputes about such matter, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? He says this uh, next verse. Come on, let's read it. It says, I'm saying this to shame you. Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this so that you'll be shamed and stop doing that. You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's good to say what needs to be said. And if a person really loves Jesus and loves the Lord, sometimes we can, how many of you know, sometimes we can, our thinking can get thrown off. I need some help up in here. How many of y'all, how many of your thinking has gotten thrown off since you've been saved? How many have thought, thought in, a, in an un-Christ-like manner since you, since you went down in the water? Anybody in the house? So all of us are subject to having our thinking thrown off. But what Paul says is, he says I'm, I'm saying to try to shame you so you can stop thinking that way. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? So, so we look at our, our outline here. We said believers should not file lawsuits against each other. And that's what Paul is dealing with because church matters should be able to be handled amongst church people. And when two believers are coming together for whatever thing, they ought to be able to decide, amen, with the help of, of, their, of their spiritual oversight to be able to solve an issue without going to an outside court without going to the secular court to solve a church issue. Paul urged the church members in Corinth to stop taking legal action against each other in the secular civil courts. Is that right? Believers ought to settle their disputes between themselves and with their own, within their own Christian community. So when we look at this thing, in God's eyes, guys, let me tell you something. It's wrong for believers to go to court. It's wrong for churches to have their issues and their laundry aired out in the public like that. There are three, three reasons why it's wrong. Just, just make a mental note of these. Number one, it's wrong because damage, it damages the name of Christ and the testimony of the church. Now let me ask you a question. How are you going to go invite somebody to come to your church? How are you going to invite somebody to come worship with you and you on TV? Hello? You're on TV, in the courtroom, fussing. Now I, I 
I, I, I had another video of the same church three years later, but I'm not going to even show that. I don't think. <laughs> Let me just kind of tell you what happened. They did vote the pastor out. Now, three years later, the church trying to vote the deacons out. Literally, they had a news crew on Sunday morning and the deacons and the interim pastor and all of them were up fussing. The deacons turned the lights off, turned the mics off, wouldn't let them have service. That very same church, which, which tells me it wasn't all the pastor. Because they got rid of the pastor, but they still had mess going on in the church. Every time I, I, I saw that, I kept saying, what in the world? Did they ever pick up the book and go to 1 Corinthians? Paul said that very explicitly. You, could, you have to pay somebody to, 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 to help you to misunderstand what Paul said. But yet and still, we find that happening in society today. And whenever a church does that, they are outside the will of God. So number one, uh, Paul, uh, God, God, God does not want church business being handled outside the church because it, it damages the name of Christ and the testimony of the church. Make no mistake about it. The name of Christ is hurt when believers carry their differences to the world to try to get a resolution with it. And I'm going to say this right quick. See, you who are born again believers and you telling all your co-workers about church issues and the problems you have with a fellow believer and not doing what the scripture says about going to that person, you are out of order and out of the will of God. Can I get one amen up in here? So number one, believers damage the name of Christ and the testimony of the church when we go to outside. Of course, number two, believers fail to govern their affairs by the life of Christ and the law of God. Believers fail to govern their, their affairs by the life of Christ and the law of God. They go before unbelievers who don't govern the affairs. The unbelievers don't, don't have a, 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 a biblical worldview of how things should go. Now, again, every judge is not an unsaved person. But what, what, what Paul is saying here is, is the, the judicial system is outside of God's system. Can I get a witness? And that's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, you should be able to handle these things as mature believers. But we, we know that the church at Corinth was not very mature, right? Paul had already told us in the third chapter that they were spiritual babies, arguing, fussing, fighting, lining up behind one personality or another. And Paul is telling them right now, listen, we got to get this right. Because the world will never experience, amen, the, the, the fullness of God's love if the church is not doing what it's supposed to do. Are y'all listening to today? So third thing, uh, believers have both the Holy Spirit and Christ-centered leaders to help us determine God's wisdom in a situation. So that's why we shouldn't, we shouldn't go. We have, we have the Holy Spirit and we got Christ-centered leaders to help us to determine God's wisdom in whatever we're dealing with. Go to Romans the 13th chapter. Right quick. Let's look at this right quick. Romans chapter 13. It's God's will for believers who have conflicts to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the church. Romans chapter 13. Are y'all still with me? Everybody say, the church is too important to ignore problems that need fixing. Say, my marriage is too important for me to ignore problems that need fixing. I got one witness. Amen. Glory to God. It's too important. Wherever Christians abide, wherever the church begins to exert its influence, whether it's here in this local congregation, whether it's on your job, whether it's uh, at school, we have to realize that we have a responsibility to handle things God's way. Church is too important to ignore a problem that needs fixing. Amen? Now look, look at Romans the 13th chapter in verse number 8. We'll read a few verses there and then we'll jump back into uh, how, how, can we, how we can begin to uh, you know, make some, someone aware of the problem, uh, uh, make, you know, understand that making them aware of the problem will help solve the problem. How many of you know sometimes people don't even see themselves? Am I right about it? Sometimes we don't see ourselves the way others see us. Right? Look at what 
Paul told the saints at Rome, he says, what? Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Look at verse nine. He says, what? For the commandments say you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. If you, if you want to know what sums up God's law, if you want to know what sums up God's uh, directive and command for our life, it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And how many of you have figured out that you can't do that in your own strength? I need some hands raised. How many of you know you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you're trying to depend on self to do it? How many of y'all got some people in your life that, 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 that they just drive you? I don't want you to raise your hand, but, but I'm sure there's, there's somebody who you work with. There's somebody who you go to school with. And God forbid there's somebody who you live with. Just drives you. Hello? But you as a born-again believer, amen, still are obligated to do what the Bible says here. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he said, right? Look at verse number 10. Watch this. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Sister Carolyn Taylor, I just saw you sitting over there. Praise be to God. Thank God for sending you back to us. After brain surgery, she's back in the house. Come on, get a Lord hand of praise. Oh, I just want to shout in the middle of this sermon right now. Glory to God. And it hadn't been two months yet. Whew. I got so much to shout about. Amen. Hold my mute. I want to shout right now. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God. Love does no wrong to others. All right, so, so, again, so, so, so if, if we're going to be a church... That, that manifests God's love into this earth. If we're going to be a church that, that rids itself of scandalous types of attitudes, we're going to have to allow the word of God and the love of God to permeate throughout our hearts and our minds. So, but Pastor, okay, okay how, how do I get that? Because, you know, you know, there's some folks, Pastor, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are some people who I know that I have a hard time getting along with. And, but Pastor, you know, that scripture that says, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. This one particular person, I, I, everything that's lied in me is gone. <laughs> so that's somebody who's, who's, who's just taking scripture out of context and they just, you know. As much as lieth in me, I want to live peaceably with all men. But there are some people who challenge us, right? Can we be honest? There are some people who challenge us to love them like we love our own self. As a matter of fact, I don't care if it's, if it's your spouse or whoever else. It's, it's, it's tough to love someone like your own self because we are inherently selfish. Come on. I, I don't care how, how long you've been saved. I don't care if you speak in other tongues. I don't care if you lay hands on the sick and saw them recover. I, I don't care what you've done. You spoke a prophetic word. You know, it's hard to love somebody just like you love your own self. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to live. I'm going to say this. You can't do it without God's love and battle inside of you. You can't do it. Man, I, 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 I promise you, I love this beautiful knockout gorgeous lady right here. I told her when she came in, I said, baby, you look stunning. Look at, can you stand up for a second? Come on, I, I, just, I need you to stand up. Come on, baby, come on. I, I, I don't want to embarrass you. And I hadn't did this in a long time. But you stand up with your Valentine red on. Come on. Come on, baby. Will you please stand up for me? Come on. Come on, stand up. Now I want you to turn around. That girl looks stunning or what? My heart started to flutter, Deborah, when she came out. Oh, Lord Jesus. 
But as much as I love her, as much as I I want to I, I, I want to go to go to wherever and back to to help her be as happy as she can be, there are times where I'm not as giving as I should be. There are times when in in, in my own selfishness I want things my way. Come on now. There are some times in my selfishness I don't want to do it the way she wants to do it. Can I get one brother who, 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 will, who will just be bold enough to say, well, Brother Pastor, I feel you. I, I, I got a couple of you. I got a couple of you. But some of y'all are scared to say something. Amen. But, but there are some times when I, 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 I don't want Don't want to do it that way. I want to do it my way. So it takes the love of God percolating on the inside of me to even love my wife like I love myself. And I tell you what I'm trying. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't bat a thousand, but you know what? I'm, I'm trying to get there. I, I, I may be around eight, eight, nine hundred percent, but I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get there. Amen. So, so, so we got to, we got to realize that it takes God's Holy Spirit abiding on the inside that enables us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because if Jesus told us to do that through his word, Paul writing to the saints at Rome, tell us to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? Is that right? So, so if, if, that was, if that's the case, then God will not have told us to do something that we are incapable of doing. And we can do it when we depend on his Holy Spirit. So, 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 okay, so we got some issues, we got some problems. So let's go to the second part of our lines. So makes, how do we make someone aware of the problem? Because we make them aware of the problem that helps to solve the problem. Because sometimes people just don't have any kind of self-awareness. So what, is, what, is, what does awareness mean? Awareness means knowing something. Everybody say knowing something. The Hebrew word for being aware is the same one used to describe Adam and Eve's sexual intimacy. I've told you before, when the, when the Bible says Adam knew Eve, uh, and, and then they conceived, there's only one way you can interpret knowing Eve then, right? That was, that was mean sexual intimacy. They were as one. And so when the text says here, the Hebrew word for being aware is the same one used to describe Adam and Eve's sexual intimacy. In order to solve a problem, guys, a person must be aware of it. They must know about it. They must have intimate knowledge of it. Becoming aware doesn't solve the issue by itself, but the issue cannot be solved without awareness. Can I get a witness? Have you ever had to tell somebody something they were not aware of? And, and, and maybe it was, I don't know, they can't solve the problem. This, 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 this is going to sound a little crude, and I don't mean to be rude. Uh, and, and it's, it's not, it's, it's, it sounds a little crude, but it's not really crude. But you're going to get my example when I tell it to you. Have you ever had somebody had something, or made of a particle in their nose, and you saw a particle in their nose, but you were afraid to say something? I need some hands raised. You saw it and you walked away and didn't tell them, hey, you got to something on your nose. Why wouldn't you make that person aware that they are walking around with a park on their nose, getting ready to take a picture? And that scene would be encapsulated for the next 30 years, but you wouldn't make the person aware that there was a problem with their nose. You wouldn't make that person aware that there was a problem with halitosis. You know, after preaching for 50 minutes, I have to always make sure I have some mint. But if you, I, I asked my wife. All right. Because she, she wouldn't want me to go out prayerfully blowing anybody away. So I have to be very careful and try to be mindful of that. And so, I, you know, um, and here's what I've learned. If somebody offer you some gum or mint, take it. Because they... <laughs> They may be telling you something in a nice sort of way. They're not going to come out and just tell you that. Uh, so if, if five people that you meet offer you some gum or mint, go to the bathroom and say, 
we got to become self-aware to deal with the problem, right? Am I right about it? So, so only to the extent that a person becomes aware of a problem is he able to take responsibility for the problem, amen? You know, and people have various degrees of awareness of their problem, which I'll agree. For example, a person who is in reality argumentative and combative may honestly think that they, they are, you know, the most easygoing person in the world. And, and, and everybody that know them know that they're not. They're very argumentative. So they got to become aware of that if they're going to help solve the problem. Can they get a witness up in here? The Bible, the, the Bible has a hard teaching. I want you all to go to Numbers, the 15th chapter. The Bible has a hard teaching. Even, it says even when we are not aware of our problems, we're still blamable for, for their effects. Even when we're not aware of our problems, we're still blamable for their effects. Go to Numbers, the 15th chapter. We'll be right quick. In verse number 27. Now, I, I was in banking for 17 years. Yvonne, th- this, this terminology will resonate with you very heavily. I, one, one while I was doing uh, some compliance in the Community Reinvestment Act offices for the bank that I was, uh, that I was working at. And, and there's something that's called a disparate impact. Have y'all heard the term before? Disparate impact. In other words, something can have an impact when even when you made that rule or that law, it didn't intend for that to have that impact. Here's what, here's what I'm getting at. All right, say for instance, as a banker, if I if I if I had in my loan policy, we will not loan money to anybody who doesn't make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year or more. All right. Now, okay. All right. So we we know the Shreveport Bozeman's problem here. Let's just say Shreveport, for example. So if I if I say that that policy is 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 on its face not discriminatory, on its face because just like some of y'all banking north of 250. I didn't ask you to tell me. I just said some of y'all are. Some of y'all looking like, well, it ain't me, Pastor. Well, let's, can we go to, uh, let's say $150,000 a year. And if I made, if, if our apostle said, we're going to loan money to everybody who has $150,000 more a year in their income category. Well, when I look at the median income for the Shreveport area, uh, and it's been a number of years, but it's probably, Yvonne, someone for a family of four, it's probably around 40000 at top, somewhere in there. Can you help me? It's, 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 okay, back when I was working, see how long it's been, it was about $37,000 a year. So if it's about $57,000 a year, then that means that if I look at the Shreveport Bowser population, it's, it has a heavy minority population, right? So if, 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 if that heavy minority population is making less than $50,000 a year, then they won't qualify for my loan, even though my loan didn't say I can't make you a loan because of the color of your skin. It's just that the, the unintended consequence, the disparate impact is that the, 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 the loan policy has a disparate effect on people who make lower income. And just so happened in the Shreveport Bozeman area, that happens to be more minorities. Are y'all tracking with me? That's, that's an unintended consequence. That's disparate impact. How many know sometimes you can be doing stuff that's having a negative impact on somebody, and you not even know that it's having a negative impact. Look at what the Bible says in, in Numbers, the 15th chapter, verse number 27, right quick. Can we, can we go there? Pop it up. It says, well, if one individual commits an unintentional sin, the guilty person must bring a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. Now, hold on just for a second. You all that don't understand dispensation need to understand this is not us now. This is under the dispensation of law. And under the dispensation of law, here's what they had to do. Now, again, even though we're not under the law, we can learn something from the law. We can learn something about God's mindset as we look at the old covenant, because the old covenant sets the stage for the new covenant. Can I get one witness up in here? He says, if one individual commits an un- unintentional sin, the guilty person must bring a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest will sacrifice it to purify the guilty person before the Lord, and that person will be what? They will be forgiven. Look at the next verse. Let's read. These same instructions apply both to native-born Israelites and to the foreigners living among you. 30 and 31. But those who, watch this, who brazenly violate the Lord's will, whether native-born Israelites or foreigners, have blasphemed the Lord, and they must be cut off from the community. This is folks who are doing stuff intentionally. These are people who, who know what God's word says, and they just flat out just refuse to do it. 31 says what? Since they have treated the Lord's word with contempt and deliberately disobeyed his command, 
they must be completely cut off and suffer the punishment for their guilt. Now, again, watch this. There, there, there was consequences for those who sin unintentionally. And there are times when we're doing stuff and we're not aware of what we're doing, but what we're doing is impacting somebody's life. Can I get a witness? So, so, so when we look at this thing, how do we have a conversation with somebody who we have a problem with? Because evidently the Corinthian church, when we go back to 1 Corinthians 6 chapter, did not know how to do it very, very well. Well, first thing you want to do is this, number one, as a believer, let me see the hands of everybody who's a born-again believer. All right. So if everybody that's a born-again believer would take our sermon notes and begin to apply them to their lives, how many know we will not have a church like Corinth? For one thing, I believe that I believe that the way you keep a Corinthian situation from happening is, is you got to have a solid teaching ministry. Can I get a witness? People got to know what the Bible says. I say this all the time. If, if you are taught what truth is, when error raises his head, you identify it immediately. Can I get a witness? When, when, you, when, you, when you teach wisdom, when foolishness rises up, you can identify it. You say, That's a fool, foolish action there because the Bible says this. God's word is wise. So when we teach, instead of just exciting you and getting you all up, throwing your purse at me, you need more than that. How many of you we need to be taught some word? Now listen, I know that, that my style of preaching won't get me a lot of invitations, which I'm not looking for invitations, won't get me a lot of invitations to a lot of churches because I just do it the way God gave me to do it. And I want you to leave here learning something. I want you to get excited, yeah, but excitement without knowledge will easily fade away when the devil starts beating you upside your head. Because, see, you're going to forget about that shout. Come on, when you can't pay your electric bill. Hello? You're going to forget about that shout when you're having marriage problems. You need some word to guide your life. All of us need word to guide our lives. Well, so, so how do I have that conversation with that person who I have a problem with? Because, again, the Corinthian church evidently d- did not did not have um, uh, the right protocol or they were not following the right protocol. Number one, take a presumed innocent approach with that person. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Take a presumed innocent approach. Until you know better, assume a person is innocent of bad motives or intents and approach them accordingly. Because here's what we do sometimes. We approach people with the idea that, yeah, they they meant to hurt me. Yeah, they meant to do that. They know what they're doing. They know know how they uh, get on my last nerve. And then we go in there with that, with that mindset. Sometimes people don't know they're getting on your nerves. Hello? I said, sometimes people don't know that you're over there fuming. Because you hadn't told them. Here's the first thing you say, well, I ain't going to say nothing because I don't want to start no mess. Now you're starting mess. Right now, because you're saying something to somebody else instead of saying something to the person you got the problem with. Can we talk? Can we talk Bible? Guys, until you know better. Now, after dealing with you a period of time, I'm going to figure out where your heart is. I'm going to figure out if you really got a heart for God or you got some evil abiding on the inside of you. But until I know that, I'm going to approach you with, with the presumption that you, are, you don't know what you're doing. Amen? If the person truly doesn't know what he's doing, he needs compassion and gentleness from you when you approach them. Can I get a witness? Sometimes a person may simply be unable to comprehend the problem. I mean, I'll be honest, there's some time I rarely have conversations and we're talking about things and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to grasp what the real issue and the problem is. I need one married man to say, I, I know what you mean, bro, Pastor. I need one married brother to say that. You ain't scared, are you? Sometimes I, I, I don't know because sometimes our, our lovely brides, they, they desire for us to figure it out. 
And because they, they, they made different than what we are. And, and we, we, we like to know, just, just tell it to me, okay, what, what it is. And, 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 and we don't, when we're, when we're not observant enough to, to learn how she is and how she operates, we had not studied her like the Bible tells us to do. Amen. The Bible tells us to dwell with her, what? According to what? Knowledge. So that means there is something that I, as a man, as a husband, don't really know in my natural way of going, so I got to study her. Yeah, got to study her, got to study her, got to study her. I, I, you know, I, I, I think I shared it with you before. I learned, um, this, this is maybe 20 years into the marriage, it took me a long time. <clears throat> 20 years into our marriage, that one of the things that my wife likes to do in the morning while she's getting ready is to talk to me. And I was, you know, what I was doing was, I was, I was getting up, getting ready, getting on out of, go to work. You know, talk a little bit, and I, I would leave. Then finally, a light bulb, I don't know why it took 20 years for that light bulb to go off of my head. I just, just pray for me, man. It took me that long, Leroy, to realize, now she didn't, and she wouldn't come out and just tell me, I want you to stay here while I get ready. And I want you to talk to me when I leave the house and go to work. It takes about 25 minutes to get to work. And so we'll talk in the morning and then we'll talk all the way to work. And I didn't realize how important, I'm serious, y'all. I didn't realize how important that was until 20 years into the marriage. Say, Pastor, you're a little slow on the uptake. (laughs) But, But when I figured it out, you know, I, I've learned to, to linger around, hang around, amen, take her stuff to the car, make sure she got everything where it's needed, then talk to her on the phone all over to the car, you know, unless one of her sisters called and want to talk. But, but uh, I, I figured it out. So, 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 so we got to dwell with them according to knowledge. Everybody say according to knowledge. Now, now watch this, watch this. Okay, uh, in other cases, uh, well, let's see, sometimes a person may simply be unable to comprehend the problem. Perhaps he's afraid to see it See it, uh, uh, see if, if, if you know, maybe uh, see it, uh, see it, uh, 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 does or doesn't possess the tools to look at himself. Sometimes we don't, we don't look at ourselves the way we should. And in other cases, he may just not know the full extent of the seriousness of the issue. How many of y'all know sometimes stuff is serious and we don't think it's as serious as, as, as the rich issue really is? Have y'all ever been there before? But when you presume a person to be innocent, amen, uh, it means you get a person a chance to show that his heart's in the right place. And that's critically important when you're dealing with a problem because most of us go to a problematic situation assuming that person had evil intentions. And sometimes it's just a misunderstanding. Look, look with me in 1 Corinthians the 13, chapter verse 6 and 7 right quick. Come on, we got to move, y'all. So first of all, if I'm going to have that conversation with a church member or a fellow believer or a saint and not have... Not, and then not end up in some World War III type situation like that church going to court. That's, that's a crying shame. And I tell you, three years later, you all see the video three years later in church about to fight. I mean, it's, it's sad, but that's what believers are doing. When you, when you don't stay on the word, you, you'll find yourself doing some crazy thing. Look at what Paul told the Corinthian church. It does not, he's talking about love here, 13 Chapter is called a love chapter. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. That's what love does. Love, watch this, never does what? Gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I'm going to tell you something. Guys, And y'all heard me say this before. You don't really know that people love you until you have to go through some disagreement with them. You, you don't know how genuine your friendship is until you disagree with your friend. You may think you do, but you don't really know. Because that's when the true test of love is going to be borne out when you got to go through some adversity. I would even say this, a, a marriage, you don't really understand the true concept of marriage until you walk through something with your spouse. And how many of y'all have walked through some stuff with your spouse before? Can I get one hand raised? I'm not talking about arguing whether or not uh, the, you, you, you didn't replace the butter or something like that. I'm talking about you've walked through some stuff with them before. Some hard stuff. 
Some stuff that made you wonder whether or not you really want to still be there. Huh? And, 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 and when you walk through that and go through that and then you see the love of God be exuded by your spouse towards you, then now you understand what true love is. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Amen? So, so, uh, so take a presumed innocent approach when you go to someone first and foremost. Don't, don't assume that they got evil intentions they, they meant to hurt you. You may say something like this. You know, I, I want to let you know that I've noticed something in our relationship that could end up being a problem. Sometimes it seems that when we talk, you aren't really listening to me. Mm-hmm. You say the right thing, but you, you look around and don't make eye contact. And you, you got the remote control, turn the volume up on the TV. That's, that's going to cause some problems. <laughs> it even feels at times as if you, you, you're waiting for me to finish so you can talk about whatever is on your mind. Not really sitting there listening. You just wait for me to finish so you can throw your bombs at me. Anybody ever been there before? Hello? And so, so I, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but before it becomes a big deal, I, I want to bring it up, bring it to your opinion. What do, you, what do you think? Have you observed this? See, now that person now is, is talking and, with the presumption of innocence. All right? So take a presumed innocent approach, first of all. And number two, be humble. Go to Romans 12, chapter, Romans 12, verse, start at verse 1, 2, and 3. Romans 12, chapter, verse 1, 2, and 3. Be humble. Walk with, in a spirit of humility whenever you're having to go and face another believer. Whether it's your family member or a church member. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse number two, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you to a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Look at verse three. That's what we want to get to. Look at verse three. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Paul talking to the saints at Rome. Don't think you are better than you really are. Wow. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Don't, look what he says. He says, don't think you are better than you really are. Don't think of yourself more higher than you ought to, I think the KJV says. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Most of the time, guys, we're not honest with ourselves. Now, we're honest about what we see in others, but we're not too honest about what we see in ourselves most of the time. Because we think we're a little bit better than what we really are. Can I get a witness up in here? So we got to be on approach the person and the situation with humility. Humility is, is not about perceiving yourself as lower than you are. It has to do with perceiving yourself as you really are with both weaknesses and strengths. All of us have strengths and all of us have weaknesses. And sometimes our weaknesses can be our blind spots and that those who love us the most will tell us about our blind spots. Still with me? Y'all still walking? So, so, so take, take a presumed innocent approach when you're going to deal with a problem. Number two, be humble. Walk with a spirit of humility. You know, make sure that you know that you got some stuff too that needs to be corrected. Number, n- number three, empathize. Empathize. Everybody say empathize. See, empathy is the ability to identify with the feelings of another person. Empathy, if, if I'm going to go and talk to a fellow church member, I got to empathize with them and, and, and try to put myself in their position if it's all possible. Amen? Show empathy. Look at the next one. Be direct. Be direct. Go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter with me, verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. Come on, we're rolling through here. So I, I want to presume that person to be innocent. He had his motives were not wrong. Because I mean, you know, sometimes people can do stuff and their motive wasn't wrong, but what they did was wrong. In other words, they, maybe they didn't intend to say that that way and it came out the wrong way and it really crushed you or hurt your feelings. And maybe it, was, it went over their head that, that what you said really hurt, hurt you like that. All right? So, you know, I... I, I, I find it hard to believe that 
a true Christian who's following after Jesus, who's studying God's word, wants to try to make you uh, feel bad. If you follow in Jesus, you want to try to lift people up. You want to give them a word of exhortation. Look at what the text says here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, right quick. So we got to we got to be direct when we share with people. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. Verse number 12 says what their responsibility is to do what is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Let's keep reading. Uh, This will continue until we all come to unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. What he says here, Paul says, all of these ministry gifts, pastor teaching, all those are going to be necessary until we all measure up to the standard of Christ, until we all look like Christ. And guess what's going to happen, guys? When we see Jesus face to face. Because you're not going to look like Christ as long as we're here on this earth. You ought to be striving to be like him, and we ought to be getting as close as we possibly can. But until we, to be like Christ means that we walk a sinless life. And that's not going to happen until we see him face to face. Look at verse 14 and 15 with him right quick. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. 15 and 16, I'm ready to read. Instead, watch this, watch this, it's really important. Instead, we will speak the truth how? Say it again, we will speak the truth how? In love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. 16, come on. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. In other words, your gifting and what God has blessed you to do helps us to grow. But now what we got to do, we got to learn to do if we're having a problem in the church is speak the truth in love. You cannot speak the truth in anger and help the situation. I'm not saying that we don't get angry sometimes. How many of y'all know anger in and of itself, righteous anger, righteous indignation is not sinful? You ought to be mad at sin. You ought to be mad at wrongdoing. You ought to be mad at injustice. So because I'm angry don't mean I'm in sin. But the Bible does say, be ye angry and what? Sin not. Don't let the sun... Go down on your wrath, neither do what? Give place to the devil. So you got to be careful when you enter into anger and make sure it doesn't enter into a sinful type anger. So we got to be direct and speak the truth in love. When you need to make someone aware of a problem, the best approach is always to be loving but direct. Now let me, let me ask you a question. How many of you have trouble being direct sometimes? Come on, come on, let's be honest. How many, how many you try, you want to tell somebody something, but you don't want to hurt their feelings? Huh? Any of y'all kind of struggle with that a little bit? Come on, y'all be honest with me. I need y'all to help me. I'm looking at some of y'all. I know some of y'all struggle with that. That's the reason why you had not addressed the issue. You need to be addressing in that relationship that you're in. Whether it's a church member or whether it's a family member, you haven't addressed it because you, 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 you're not sure how they're going to take it. But learn how to be direct. Speak in love, but be direct. Amen? Here's the next one. Be specific. Okay? If you're going to address a problem in the church or in your home, be specific. Using specific examples can help a person become aware they got a problem. Amen? The scriptures contain many instances of how God gives specifics to make his people aware of what they're doing. Pop up Ezekiel 22 and 29 for me right quick. Be specific. Let them know exactly what it is. Be specific. Glory to God. It says, even common people oppress the poor. He's he's telling what they're doing. Oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. He, he, He said right point blank what they were doing. And when you're addressing the problem, you want to be specific. 
You don't want to talk about stuff that happened 15 years ago. Talk about what, what you're dealing with right now, what the problem is. Be specific. Don't just say, well, you know, you, you, it's a lot of stuff you're doing. A lot of stuff? Tell them what it is. Be specific, okay? Everybody say, be specific. Next thing you got to do when you address the problem, you got to request change. Everybody say, request change. Requesting change helps clarify what is expected and gives a structure for reestablishing the relational connection. In other words, you're doing this, you're cussing at me when you get mad, and that's, first of all, it's unbiblical, and it makes me feel like you don't respect me as a person. So when we finish this conversation, I don't, listen, we're, we're not going to communicate if you keep cussing at me. I'm God's child. He saved me. I'm the head, I'm the tail, I'm above, not the knee. I, I'm, I'm a royal priesthood of chosen nation, and you're not going to curse at me like that. As a believer, you should never, you should never speak to someone in, in, in a derogatory manner. What's wrong with you? Yes, I ask you what's wrong with you. Something is turning on the inside of you if you save now that you got to deal with. And if your anger gets you to that point, you better deal with your anger because it's ultimately going to cause you to enter into sin. Can I get a witness? So you got to request some changes. Ask for what, the, what, the, what you want changed. Okay? Next thing, prepare before you confront. Go to Micah 6. Micah 6 and 8. You got to prepare before you confront. Prepare, preparation. Be, up, be prayed up. But look at what Micah 6 and 8 says. He says, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. Number one, to do what's right. That means to act justly. Number two, to love mercy. And number three, to walk humbly with your God. Number one, do what? To, what does it say? To do what? Act justly, to do what's right. That's what God requires of us. Number two, to do what? To love mercy. Because when you're dealing with a problem, you've got to have mercy on people. Isn't it amazing how we want to kill people when they mess up? But when we mess up, we want people to understand that we didn't really mean it that way. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that, isn't that a trip? It's as if our stuff ain't as bad as their stuff. Guys, I'm going to tell you, we got to make sure we do it right. All right, so, so prepare before you confront. Make sure that you're going to go into their situation and you, you, you say, I'm going to act justly. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to love mercy. I'm going to have mercy on this person. We're going to talk about the issue. We're not, and we're not going to get all deep off into stuff that, 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 that's not related to this. Talk about the issue, and I'm going to walk humbly before my God as I deal with this person. Next thing, know, know when to confront and when to let go. Go to Proverbs 19. Know when to confront, okay, and when to let go. Look at what Proverbs 19 11 says. It says what? Sensible people, watch this, control their temper. They earn respect by doing what? Overlooking wrong. There's there, there going to be some time, guys, where you got to show somebody mercy and grace. And you got to, you, you, you can't, listen, everything that a person does, you know, you, you're going to drive yourself crazy addressing every little thing. I understand socks on the floor gets on your nerves. I understand towels folded a certain way in the pantry just, just have you almost about to break out in the, in, in, in the heebie-jeebies. But when it's all said and done, that towel turned one way in the pantry, does it have anything to do with life and death? Does it have anything to do with getting to heaven? Does it have anything to do with making your home environment conducive where a person can feel like they can be at ease? Some of y'all, some of y'all, some of y'all, I, I hear some of y'all, your head turning right now. Well, you know, Brother Pastor, it is important. It's a doggone tile in the pantry that nobody going to see it but you. Chill. Chill out. You ain't going to hell because the bread tile was on top of the blue tile. And some of y'all just having knocked down. I'm like, is that what y'all are talking about? 
Y'all saved. Y'all leading the praise team. And y'all arguing about. Just, I mean, just, just, just be mad too. Sensible people control their temper. Maybe you ain't sensible. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. So when you confront, know when to confront and when to let go. Some of y'all just pile on. You won't turn nothing loose. You just, just drive and just like a, like a knife in the wound. Just keep on twisting. They said they were sorry. They asked your forgiveness, but you keep just twisting it. Just twisting it. I ain't going to let you go. You hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to keep bringing it up. There's a time for confronting, and there's a time for letting go. Hello? I'm just trying to help you up in there. <laughs> now, clarify your motives. Can we move? Clarify your motives. Y'all got that outline. I'm going to move them. When you clarify your motives, listen to me. The, that's the why or the purpose of the confrontation, you can really affect the outcome. Clarify your motives. What, what are you really getting at? Now, now, when you do this, understand that there are three possible reactions to confrontation. And it ain't always good, but you got to do it. Love enough to confront. Number one, first, you can be received well. The person gets it and all ends well. I gave you some scripture there. I'm not going to go to those today. That, 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 that's, that's the ideal situation, right? But number two, second, you, you may face some resistance. Here's what happens. Usually some resistance, defensiveness. Or some other other form of opposition, where people people just don't, uh, you know, they, they don't they don't uh, they don't handle it too well. Go go rock, pop up Proverbs nine eight, nine seven and eight. Proverbs nine seven eight. We let you get out of here. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. But watch this. So don't bother correcting mockers; they'll only hate you. But correct the wise, and they'll love you. Correct the wise, and they'll love you. In other words, when you deal with a fool, the Bible says, the Bible is very plain. When you deal with a fool, whether you laugh or you rage, you ain't going to have no peace. And, and, and when, you, when you identify that you're dealing with a fool, it's going to help you to be able to, to, to know how to handle it. Because some people don't want to do better. Some people aren't trying to do better. And so, so the Bible says, don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you, but correct the wise and they'll love you. People who are wise know how to receive correction. Okay. So, so, so second, you may face resistance or defensiveness or some other form of opposition. And, and third, here's what may happen when you confront an issue. You may face not only resistance, but retaliation. Some folks want to retaliate against you when you face in a problem. And that should never happen in the church, and certainly shouldn't happen in your home. Are y'all tracking with me? All right, got to finish it up. Distinguish between what you prefer and what's wrong. In other words, figure out if what a person is doing is really a bad thing or just something you don't like. Some things are just things that you don't like and want some, someone to change, but that person is not really doing anything wrong. Hello? They're not really doing anything wrong. In other words... They, they, they put their feet up on the couch and they didn't have any socks on. I mean, really, in the broad scope of things, that's not wrong. But you just don't like that. And it bothers you. And y'all can't get along. I'm just something silly like that. But, I mean, m- make sure, you know, it, it's, not something, it's just not something that you prefer, but it's, you're dealing with the wrong when, when you're dressing. It, it, choose the right time and place. You know, right after church, when you leave in, 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 in the foyer, ain't time for you and your wife to have an argument. I've seen it happen in church. You couldn't even wait to get home. Y'all start arguing on the parking lot. And little baby's coming by, look, ooh, look, at, look at Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> Mama, they were saying some words. You, they were saying some words you told not to say. And he's a deacon. And she just sung, How Great Thou Art. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that goes on. This is what's happening in car rats. Come on, y'all. Choose the right time and place. Don't talk to some people when they're sleeping because some people get mean on them when they're sleeping. And you know they're sleeping. You're going to just pick, 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 pick. Discern when it's a good time. 
Affirm something good about the person. The sandwich method, we always teach you, talk about what you love about what's good, then deal with the issue, and then follow up with, with something that's, that's, that's affirming and exhorting. Let them know that y'all still, y'all still buddies. I mean, we just got to address the issue. Okay? Affirm something good. Look, listen, and seek to understand what's going on in that person's life. And speak to the feelings, then return to the issue. Because you can feel something, and your feelings are real, but your feelings may not be truth. So we're going to speak to the feeling. Yeah, you feel that way. And I understand you feel that way, but that's not the truth of the situation. Amen. All right. Empathize with the other person's feelings or position and return to the issue. And, and last, but certainly not least, stay in control of yourself. Look at Proverbs 12 and 16. We're closing on this. Stay in control of yourself when you're facing the problem. Look at Proverbs 12, 16. Look, here it is again. Now, again, some, this is to somebody. I don't know who it is, but you in here and the Holy Spirit saying, I got to get that out of you because you, you get ready to do something that's going to cause you a whole lot of trouble. A fool is quick tempered. But a wise person stays calm when insulted. Can y'all read that with me as we close? A fool is what? Now you got to evaluate yourself now. But a wise person what? Stays calm when insulted. Guys, the Corinthian church had some problems. And Paul says, don't take your problems to the world. There's enough wisdom in the church to handle your problems. The church is too important to ignore problems that need fixing. Every head bowed, every eye closed.